Welcome to the Access VFX podcast, pursuing inclusion, diversity, awareness, and opportunity in VFX, animation, and games industries. Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, founder and director of Access VFX, bringing the visual effects, animation, and games industry together, working towards a shared goal to make our industry more diverse and inclusive by taking action rather than just talking about it. Hello, I'm Simon, founder and director of Access VFX, and welcome to season two, episode two of the Access VFX podcast. Each episode, we interview a different member of the VFX animation and games community and ask them a range of questions from the AVFX vault. Every week, we invite talented folks from the world of visual effects animation and games, including heavyweights and those just getting started in the industry, and ask them about their journey from humble beginnings, big breaks and learnings, through to shamelessly mining their brains for juicy career advice and their thoughts on how we can create a more inclusive and diverse creative community. In this episode, I had the opportunity to interview Mark Simon Hewis, the head of Ardman Academy, on Zoom, live from his shed. We spoke a few weeks ago and had a great conversation. We covered everything from photography to how animation is the meaning of life and, of course, the legend Ray Harryhausen. We very much hope you enjoy episode two, season two of the Access VFX podcast. All right. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Access VFX podcast. This is episode two, season two of the podcast. And if you tuned into episode one, you'll know we've changed the format up a bit and we're working with a lovely Q&A format with an esteemed guest. So I'm going to not waste any more time. We're going to get straight into the intro. So I'd love to welcome esteemed filmmaker. I'm using the term esteemed a lot, a lot already. Esteemed filmmaker, good authority, former lecturer. I'm going to throw in Shed Dweller because it's live from his very cool looking shed. And of course, more importantly, head of Ardman Academy, the magnificent Mark Simon Hewis. So if we had a, uh, an audience, they'd be going wild. So picture the crowd going crazy. But yeah, welcome to the pod, Mark. Welcome. How are oh, you? Thank you. Thank you. Good. Thank you. It's started raining and my shed's got a tin roof. So hopefully you don't, you don't, <laughs> you don't it doesn't awesome. sound like I'm just sort of in a tumble dryer the whole of this, but I'm hoping it will clear up in about five minutes. Well, you're coming through loud and clear. It creates a bit of atmosphere, doesn't it, as we're uh, heading to the, the witching season. So, so Mark, uh, welcome to the podcast. So um, I guess my first question is, you're, you're head of, I would say, fairly recently promoted to head of Ardman Academy, right? Is that fair to say? Last kind of, May last year? Yeah. So, I mean... I, LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah, good old LinkedIn. It sort of just <laughs> summarises your entire life into one digestible, simple online CV, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I've sort of been at Ardman. I think I've started Ardman and started working at Ardman about 16 years ago. So I think like a lot of freelancers on and off, in and out, lots of roles, slowly kind of moving through different roles and different responsibilities. And I think about seven years ago, well, I was still at Ardman and, and at that point directing. Yeah, I started working with the Academy. There's always been a sort of a version of the Academy at Ardman which has been a place where people are either sort of trained up for specific projects or that they are kind of working with the outside world to hope, hopefully open the door to what the animation industry is. And I guess that became a lot more formal over the last few years. And, and you know, a real push for us to start trying to kind of reach out and open the door even wider for the animation industry. And that all goes hand in hand with a 
a really robust diversity and inclusivity charter that's become really important to Alban and 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 that's kind of driven this yeah desire for the academy to be more than something that is purely to the benefit of the people who work for Ardman and Ardman's become employee-owned obviously in the last few years and that's become oh, a really important part of what we want to do you know when we all kind of sat down as an employee-owned company the academy was always an important part of the direction that we wanted to take the company as an employee-owned company and that's become far more proactive in the last few years and especially in the last six months yeah where I've been given the incredibly exciting role of having to look after it all and being the head of it all but yeah it's really exciting it's great I love it excellent yeah I mean I think the, the diversity and inclusion kind of kind of Fred you mentioned I mean uh, I know Ardman Academy came on board as fully fully fledged access VFX members a few years ago as well so you're one of our more yeah. recent recent additions to the membership so uh, it speaks volumes to uh, to that that remit for sure so as you know mark we've got a set a bunch of questions i'm just going to fire at you so it's kind of almost kind of like a creative version of mastermind i'm just going to just get into it and uh, i mean the first question i sent to you and you know you know for, for those listening we do send the questions out we don't just this isn't all off the off the cuff is the kind of who you are and where you're from so we know who you are and you're, you're obviously you're at Hardman Academy, but what's your where, you, where are you from, Mark? So this is this, well, look, this is the one that I didn't actually write anything down any because I thought I could just do this on off the cuff. But actually, it turns out when you get asked <laughs> where you're from, you realise there's so many different ways you can take that. So <laughs> physically, in the world, I was raised. Right. I was raised in the wonderful north, just outside Scunthorpe, in a farming community, where. There aren't many people who have creative careers. There certainly isn't an animation industry or a VFX industry or a film industry. It's, you know, your, your cultural hub is Sheffield, which is about an hour and a half away. Mm. So you go there for your culture. So physically, that's where I'm from. Yeah. In terms of kind of my background, you know, I, I fell in love with photography when I was a 10-year-old. And, and I got given a camera, I think, by my uncle, and I lived in a tiny village with a population of about 50, no buses, no shops, a couple of streetlights, that was it. And, and I think a lot of my childhood was just playing with a camera. And then, and then I think when I was about 17, I realised that I was better at animation than I was photography because I was forced to make an animated film at college. And so what I did was I just took a bunch of pictures and joined them up. And it turned out that's exactly what animation is. And it turned out that when I joined up my pictures, they made better films than they made individual pictures. <laughs> so that's physically where I'm from. And that was kind of like where I kind of emotionally and creatively, I think, I guess I'm from. Considering that was off the cuff. That was pretty, pretty poetic, I think. I love the I promise that it wasn't I written. The journey. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I've loved that journey from uh, almost the photography, just the still image, to a series of still images. Yeah. Is essentially, as you rightly say, is animation. yeah. I was like a, I was like a Northern Mirebridge. <laughs> and yeah, and all down to your uncle. Any any other influences growing up? Oh my word, influences growing up. Do you know what? When I was at school, I was really sporty. I loved sport, but I think that was mainly because I wasn't academic. And I think if I'd had role models that were really creative, I think that could have really helped, but I didn't really have them. So yeah. I almost needed to wait until I saw 
that there were people out there who were these amazing creatives to realize that oh, I could do that too. So it really wasn't until, I mean, if anything, it was, it was friends, you know, mm. I was, even though I was really sporty, all of my friends were kind of a bit arty, I guess. And, and I kind of was always a bit in awe of, of the fact that they were going off and doing really well in their GCSE art and things like that. And I wasn't very good at drawing and I wasn't very good at making things, but, but, but I obviously loved it. And I guess that's what's, you know, what's difficult about animation or moving image or VFX or anything like that is that you often find, and, and we find this from a lot of our stop motion animators, they're okay at a lot of things, but they know there's something out there they're brilliant at. And it just takes them a while to find it. And I think I definitely had that. It took me a while to find it. And when I found animation as a sort of, I guess I must've been 17, it was suddenly like, oh, I'm all right at this. Yeah, I'm, I'm really actually good. all right at this. I'm good at it. I'm all right. <laughs> found my thing. Yeah. And is that, it's interesting you're talking about the kind of friends as almost kind of like a journey of finding your tribe, you know, finding yeah. that kind of creative yeah. community at such a young age. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, up north as well, there's not a lot of you. So you stick together. Mm. You know, you all yeah. generally don't like songs that are in the charts. Yeah, <laughs> it's like disdain for pop music. I yeah. know. Never and you're all, yeah, and you're finding the, the, the dodgy bar in Scunthorpe that plays really good music, you know, instead yeah. of the, <laughs> instead of the mainstream place. And, and, you know, you sort of create your own little subculture and then you turn around and say you love animation and everybody goes, well... He's, wow. We've lost him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, minus cool point. <laughs> totally. Find another tribe, exactly. Yeah. So thank you for that, Mark. So we're uh, still on the subject of, of you. And again, the next question really is about just pick it. It's classic job interview question, this is. Yeah. Is three words that describe you. What are the three words that describe Mark Simon Hewitt? Well, it's a good job. It's not a job interview because I definitely changed these three words, but I was trying to be honest and I was trying to think what my team at the Academy would probably <laughs> would probably say. So I've put down and you might have got this already, but overexcited. OK, love it. Opinionated. Yeah. And thoughtful. I'd, I think oh, they're the three. I think I overthink oh. things quite often, which is, which can be a really brilliant trait, by the way. I'm definitely opinionated, which doesn't have to be bad. You know, no, as long as you're thoughtful about your about how your opinions, that's good. But I mean, the, the easiest one to put down was overexcited. I get so overexcited. Even this, that's I'm so excited. I'm doing this. One. It's just you're so here. You've cool. arrived. This is the this is all downhill after here. <laughs> yeah, you've made it to the atmosphere effects podcast. <laughs> I love it. I love overexcited. I think that's great. I mean, you, I mean, definitely. I was hoping your third one would be another O that you could say it's like the Mark Simon who is three O's yeah, of, of yeah. animation. Overexcited and opinionated. I mean, you know, when when it's about you know this is this is what you know you know the moving image, whether it be VFX animation games, it's all about you know being excited about what you do and having an opinion about what you're putting out. Yeah. Um, so I think that's you know it's like any any review of work. Yeah, that quiet thoughtfulness as well. Quite like that kind of split between overexcited over here and then like a quiet, pensive, thoughtful person yeah. and opinionated just somewhere in the middle, just coming. Yeah, <laughs> throwing opinions all over the place don't care if they're right or wrong and then I go home and think about it later <laughs> brilliant that's a great that's a great start thank you Mark so what inspires you what's uh, what gets you out of bed in the morning ex excites you about whatever you've got coming ahead that day you know what inspires you well I was sort of thinking about this in terms of other people as well you know and I think that our industry is so driven by collaboration and it, and it doesn't have to be with your best friends 
has to be this there is this mutual respect isn't there and, and I think mutual respect is so important and so I thought about this and and actually it then becomes sort of integral to you was like well actually why why do I do stuff and and, and I put down that I really I was really inspired by risk taking and morals and I and I think that you know each one without the other is isn't where innovation you can't have innovation with, with without both of them in a way yeah, you know and and I think that risk taking is absolutely brilliant but I think risk taking without thinking about the implications of those risks it is really too dangerous <laughs> or it could be seen as too dangerous you know and I think that morals without that desire to, to sort of see where you can push something could actually just end up that everything is just too safe and so I think those two things and seeing that perfect balance between risk-taking and morals I find really inspiring and whenever I see people who are able to achieve that I, I think wow you're brilliant can't believe you've managed to achieve that i'm not saying in any way that i'm able to achieve that every day or that anybody is able to achieve that but that as a kind of a, a goal is is exactly what i i yeah. think we're trying to do kind of every day in the in the academy at ardman i like i like that and again those extremes of so not risking just like throwing caution to the wind on a daily yeah. basis as to your morals but keeping that kind of moral compass i think yeah. is a is a really nice stage i think that that do you think that applies to thinking about our access to effects audience? You know, I mean, I, I get where it sits within industry and studios, but you know, when you're when you're out and out looking for that break, working out what you want to do in the creative industry, do you think that applies as well? I, don't know. I mean, I think it certainly did for me when I was when I was starting out. You know, I wasn't the most. I wasn't the. I wasn't the. I'm trying to think of the best way. <laughs> best way of putting this without being too damning of myself, but I wasn't the most. I wasn't the strongest in terms of craft skills, you know. I, I wasn't, I wasn't massively clever in terms of what I was achieving. So in many ways, the only thing I had was that I was willing to take creative risks, but I was doing it from a point of view where I knew exactly why it needed to be done. And, and I think that it's important that you know what your unique skills are that you bring into this industry and, and and i think that there is a space for everybody and it one thing we don't need is we don't need we don't need one version of everybody you know we don't need everybody to be the same we need a we need a, a spectrum of all these different brains who are good and bad at different things who who rely on other people for things that they're less brilliant at i mean i know that I have relied heavily on amazing craftspeople because I never had that at the beginning. But I'd like to think that because I'm not very good at it, I've given some people some jobs. <laughs> and likewise, <laughs> I've been able to actually get funding because I've been amazing. able to kind of rely on those things that I can bring. So, you know, I think, I think just understanding what you bring is really important and being able to do that without without too much of an ego and without you being too convinced that you've got the answer to everything is is incredibly attractive in our industry actually not the first time i've heard that that humbleness you know mm. humility i think is, is key yeah. isn't it yeah and i think from a leadership point of view as well particularly in your role like you say you know you're not going to have all the answers you know like you you say you're not the strongest uh, 
craftsperson but you know the whole point of leadership is you surround yourself with people who are and yeah and then you learn and get inspired from them and equally they do from you because everybody has that 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 themness that uness that you bring yeah. so i think that's a that's a great take i love that thank yeah. you uh, so we touched on Arden academy and what it is for the kind of you know the, un, the uninitiated but what if a alien just happened to rock up to your shed today gives you a little knock on the uh, the shed door comes in and uh you have to explain what you do to that alien otherwise they'll either they might come in peace but they might incinerate you if you don't get it right who knows this is so this is what i've written this is so weird i'm so sorry okay it's a weird question so, right so on earth we like processing what being a human is about through art and animation is one of those things that we class as art and animation is often storytelling and i used to do that but now i help people who want to do that animation is quite complicated to explain but once you explain it in this idea of you know art and why art exists and why does culture mm. exist and culture is really vital you know for us as humans to understand mm -hmm. well humans i guess and and i guess yeah. that the academy the academy basically helps people enter into that really vibrant culture and industry of holding a mirror up to society and it helps us understand ourselves better and even those people who don't want to be artists or animators to get paid for it it still helps them process what it is to be a human so anyway it was a really profound question i thought about really it for a time. Answer. and at the end of it i realized that you know without this <laughs> With that animation, we'd all be doomed, basically, Simon, is exactly yeah. what I thought. I mean, it's really yeah. integral to our existence and it's a really brilliant, amazing thing. <laughs> brilliant. Well, I love I love that where you touch on storytelling there as well, because I think we're nothing without stories, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's the industry we're absolutely in. Again, whatever whatever kind of discipline we're in. So that's it. It's a hugely profound answer. You took us to a very deep and meaningful place there. So thank you. <laughs> We went back to the early days earlier. We talked about, you know, you got into photography as a 10 year old and uh, you were forced to make an animation when you were <laughs> yes, totally. Lovely way into animation. You know, like, earlier than that, you know, what did you want to be when you grew up? Or was it always to be some form of um, storyteller, photographer? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I do remember being sort of 11, 12 and thinking, I think I want to be a photographer. I do, I do remember that quite early mm -hmm. on. And I think before then, I, I don't know. I mean, I loved sport. I was really sporty. I loved sport, but I didn't really ever felt feel like I fitted in <laughs> massively. Yeah. But I really loved it. And there was actually a period in my life where I thought I might, you never know, kind of get to the point where there was some way of making money doing running around. But but that never really happened. I mean, I I kind of yeah, I mean from a very young age, I loved, I loved photography and actually i really loved my my dad got a really um a really clunky old vhs camcorder way but in fact the same one that the same one from back to the future that exact same red jvc one yeah, so i used yeah. to love it because i used to basically stand around looking like marty mcfly and even then i remember i used to just love playing with it i just and at that point i didn't really realize there was something like being a filmmaker and stuff so i guess they all just sort of joined up i mean it's quite it's quite odd. I mean, I've met, it took a long time to realise that for a lot of people, that's not very normal, you know, mm. to kind of know quite early on. That, and I know that I did become a photographer and things like that. And that, 
but I know I've, I've subsequently as an adult <laughs> realized that, that most kind of people in their 40s are still working out what they want to do and and I, yeah. I think that and I find that actually incredibly inspiring because it sort of it sort of can be a bit boring knowing from the age of 11 that you want to go into something that's to do with imaging capturing and but the only other thing I've got like I say was sport you know I loved sport and it was the only other thing that I was really any good at <laughs> and yeah the, the whole yeah the whole idea of what you wanted to be when you grow up I don't know whether that applies to a certain generation I mean I remember I mean I'm, I'm generation x so I'm like a proper old man and it was all about you know the, the careers advisor came in and you you answered a few questions they had this I, I swear I remember this machine where they fed all the information in and they spat out a report that said yeah. I'm offered about you know 12 different careers mm -hmm. And I think those days have gone. You're absolutely right. I mean, there's people change careers all the time. Now, don't they? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I remember, I vividly remember that that careers advisor coming in and chatting. And I remember I actually, because this is the sort of things I did when I was a slightly strange kind of 14 year old. I remember that I had a scrapbook with all of the um, the silk cut adverts from the 80s and the oh, 90s. God, yeah, yeah. And yeah, um, I was just kind of, I would, I remember as a kid just almost looking forward to the next one. And I know that it was really mainstream and it was really kind of like, of course, that was where I was going to go to. I was going to look at the most impressive, you know, photography ad campaign that was out there and that was winning all these awards. But I remember I showed it to the careers advisor and said, I want to do that. I want this is what I want to do. And I think it blew their mind. I mean, this was a farming community just outside Scunthorpe. I mean, we had a, we had a farm in the school. I mean, that's how embedded we were with the farming community. We, we, we had animals and one of our lessons was rural studies. And so, so this person turning up with, you know, advertising campaigns and saying, I want to be the photographer who does these. And I remember they kind of, I don't know how they did it. Yeah, like it was a machine or something. But at the end, they said, I really remember this. Well, look, you can't be a teacher because you're, you're not doing well enough academically and you can't be a photographer or a filmmaker because it doesn't look like you're going to get a C in physics. And I really wow. remember being told that. And I and I remember thinking that for years wow. I needed to have physics to be a filmmaker, photographer, animator or my my only other option was to be a teacher and I wasn't very academic. So you know sitting there and your passion for photography I mean you know it had nothing to do with portfolio crush. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think they ever said are you any good at taking pictures <laughs> because that was sort of somehow unquantifiable for them but but I, th I think it really knocked me you know and I, I don't think it was their fault I don't think they were doing something bad I don't think you know I think it was just it just wasn't the sort of thing that somebody sits down at a careers thing and does you know you know, and I look at my mates from school and I know that a lot of them went off and did really a brilliant creative jobs in creative roles. And, and I know that they were probably given that same slightly weird <laughs> advice about how they could do this. And actually, I think a lot of the advice that you need at that point is just, OK, just keep practicing, just yeah, keep yeah. practicing keep making if you want to be a painter paint if you want to be a photographer take pictures if you want to be an animator move stuff around you know there's 99p apps out there that are as good as feature film apps were in the 90s <laughs> you know so better, better. way better they're shooting 4k you know and, and i think that just hopefully i'd really love to think that that isn't the case anymore and that those those kids you know that that are, that are able to kind of go I don't know 
can I do something creative? There's those people who are going, yeah, just keep playing and just keep doing it, keep you know? And, stuff. Yeah. 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 And that, that's what we, we get a lot of that through the Academy. And when we talk to people saying, what advice have you got? I mean, there is only one piece of advice that is the same for everybody. So everybody is unique, but the one piece of advice that is the same for everybody is, look, if you want to be an animator, you've got to animate, you know, if you want to be a filmmaker, you've got to make films. And, you know, if you want to be a producer, you need to get, you need to get involved with the production of work to see how that person is managing to maintain people and keeping everybody happy. The only way to do it is to actually practice it. And and I think that, um, yeah, I certainly wasn't given that advice. I was told to go off and work out what is it the velocity equals the mass of uh, you know i've never needed it (laughs) it certainly didn't stop me from being a filmmaker excellent i'm I'm glad i'm glad you'd be on a very different podcast if you were so So, uh, higher education you know where did you go did you go to university college you know what where did you get your your qualification I mean, I pretty much flunked school totally because I'm really dyslexic, but I didn't find that out for years. So I, I can't read very well. <laughs> I can't read very well. Um, and I find processing information really, really difficult. And I didn't find that out while I was at school. I didn't find out until I got to uni. So it, it meant that I literally didn't do any homework for about five years and subsequently failed <laughs> my GCSEs. But then in the final year of, of school, I realized I, I sort of fell in love with properly. And I realized, well, actually, hold on, maybe I need to go to art school. And and I realized, okay, I wasn't going to be able to go and go and do a BTEC national diploma because you need to have a certain number of A, Bs and Cs, and I wasn't going to get it. So I um I went and did a BTEC first diploma, which is your equivalent of four. I remember those. Yeah, yeah, do you remember them? Yeah, I did, I, I, I did that at North Lindsay College in Scunthorpe, and it's where you do a bit of everything. And it was mm-hmm. a year of kind of doing, you know, graphic design and photography and illustration and model making and pottery and live drawing. And you do all these things. And honestly, I found I found my clan. It was amazing. Yeah. And I loved it. And I suddenly became a workaholic. I've never worked hard in my entire life, I don't think. And I fell in love with it and I should have really then carried that on and stayed there and done a BTEC national diploma. But then I found that an hour and a half away in Lincoln, which is a long journey from Scunthorpe for geographical people who don't know the differences, <laughs> they did a photography and video BTEC national diploma. So I, used to, so, I, so I went there and I got a taxi and then a bus and then another bus every day to Lincoln and and, and found another group of people and realized these people are amazing. And actually they become became the people I wanted to be like. They were amazing. They made these amazing films and took brilliant photographs. And I was still there because I wanted to be a photographer. And, and then I kind of did that thing. I don't know if you remember this thing, but I, I remember thinking, I want to go to uni because I found this thing and, and, I've, and, I've, and I need to keep learning. And so for me, uni was right, not because I wanted to be an academic, but just because I wanted to keep playing. And I didn't know how else to play. I couldn't, I didn't have a computer, you know, I didn't have a camera. The only way I could do this was by continuing my education. It was almost the only way I could afford it. And I went and took my photography through to my, my, my tutors and they had laid out all my photographs and these two or three films that I'd made. And at that point, the first film I'd ever made got into London Short Film Festival. I didn't realise that was a big deal. 
and it was only 60 seconds and I made it in a photo booth in Woolworths in Lincoln by putting money into the into the slot and I didn't realize that it was good <laughs> but it was it was actually pretty good and they sat down with this portfolio laid out and they, they and they were really brutal but it was probably so important they did and they showed me my portfolio of photography and they said here's your photo your photographs and they talked about it and they talked about how it was all incredibly mediocre I remember Whoa. I know at that time I was I was applying to do photography at uni and they were going look you're really you're such a solid photographer you're so solid and here are your films and we've never seen films this good at BTEC level. <laughs> so why are you applying to do photography? And so in that instance, and I didn't really, I thought they were just rubbish, my films. I thought they were just photography, photographs, sorry, joined up. And so at the last minute, I suddenly panicked and had to start ringing up universities because I'd already put my application in, say, would you take me to come and study animation or filmmaking? And in the end, I found at that point, I'd fallen in love with a filmmaker called Tony Hill. I don't know if you're aware of him, but he kind of invented loads of camera cranes and loads of different ways you could move a camera. He was, an, he was actually an architect who started making films and, and I fell in love with what he did. It was, it was just sort of mesmerising what he was doing. And, and I, I found that he was the course leader of a course in Derby <laughs> called Time-Based Art or something. It was one of those... And there was only 12 people on the course. So I sent him and I sent him an email and just said, well, maybe it was even, no, it would have been just about an email time and just said, can I come and show you my films that I've made? I'd really love to come, really love you to teach me. And so I did. And he, and he, and he invited me round to his office in Derby. And, no was, and, and at the end he said, well, do you want to come on this course? And I said, yes, please. And then I, then I, then I moved to Derby and I did a did a three-year course where I basically did fine art moving image. But in that time, okay. I just animated, really. And then I took two years out and worked as a worked in psychiatric residential homes for two years while building up a portfolio. Because after that, I knew I wanted to go to the Royal College of Art and study animation. Because at that point, yeah. I realised that the films I liked were made by Royal College of Art graduates <laughs> and I wanted to be one and I knew it was going to be hard I'd really sort of focus that's what I wanted to do so in the end I kind of did a really traditional route mm. which academically I found really really difficult but because of my dyslexia but I think what I loved about it was that you know I worked so hard in that time yeah. because it didn't feel like work mm. and um, yeah, it's what you loved yeah yeah and I loved it I loved, I loved every second of making moving image or animating or playing with a rostrum camera that I'd found. Or I remember the first time I opened After Effects, you know, and, and just thinking, what, I've got literally no idea how to do this. And I don't, so I remember ringing around classmates going, how do you import footage? You know, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I never felt stressed out by that. I almost felt like this is such a brilliant problem I've got to solve. And, and so, yeah, my route was very traditional but it kind of was born out of not having any other way of doing it, I think. I mean, it, it, that whole journey, though, this traditionalism steeped in you taking an initiative, calling people up, you know, whether it be Tony Hill or whether it be your, your friend or, you know, people helping you do stuff that you, you know, yeah. not necessarily experienced in. So I think there's a real, like, proactivity to that journey, if that makes sense, like, yeah. you know, really, really taking control. So it's less of just, you know, I applied and I got in and I did a yeah. degree and I walked out with my bit of paper, you know. I think it's a bit more yeah, maybe. And maybe it was also because kind of like, you know, university wasn't a path that I'd seen anybody in my family ever do. 
you know, mm. I'm, I'm the only one who's ever kind of gone to uni and I didn't really know the right or wrong way to do it. I remember someone saying at one point, you don't need to go to uni. You know, mm. I don't think you should go to uni. You should just try and get into industry right now. And I remember thinking kind of like, oh, I'm having too much fun playing. Yeah. And I think if I go and get a job, I'm, I'm going to be forced to stop playing. And uh, I think that was one of the best decisions I've probably made. I know, I know it's not right for everybody. And actually, <laughs> going full circle, weirdly at the Academy, one of, sorry, the Arban Academy, what we do at the Arban okay. Academy is we offer people who were not like me an alternative to that traditional pathway. And that's really exciting to kind of say, look, we all need different routes to find our way of playing. But one thing that we've made sure that we build in is that ability to continue to be playful because that's where you, that's where you find your voice and finding your voice is so important. Even if it is to be one member of a very big team, your voice is still really vital, I think, in our industry. And you only really find that by having the space to discover it. Thank you for that. That's really, yes, I mean, it's a great account for sure. I mean, building on that, Mark, the, you know, coming into industry, you know, when, mm. when do you kind of, you know, almost mark your, um, your big break? How, you know, at what point did you, you know, or when did you break into industry and at what level? I such a, it sort of depends what you call industry, isn't it? I mean, I guess yeah. I, I would call industry when do you start earning a living from it? Yeah. Because what yourself the chain of the chain of events, I guess. That yeah, I mean, sense. I guess I, because I left the Royal College of Art really uncommercial. I knew I couldn't make money from what I'd done at the Royal College of Art. I could go off and win maybe the odd weird film festival, but no <laughs> one was going to pay me to go off and like some of my mates were going off to join, you know, agencies in in Soho where they could go off and make some brilliant trendy advert. <laughs> that was never going to be me right at the beginning. So I kind of sort of scrabbled around finding a way of making a living outside of the industry while still being a director for a long, long time. And then and then and then I was going to become a dad and then I became a dad. And it's amazing how things like that can can suddenly put time pressure yeah. on things. And yeah. and I um I actually my first my first walk into Ardman as a job was because two friends were making something called Angry Kid. I don't know if you're aware of Angry Kid. Know, Angry Kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my now wife was producing it, and her friend was the creator and director of it. And I think I was sitting in a in a bar with them in Bristol, and it was literally just sort of like, oh, there's this nice guy, Mark. He makes weird films, you know. But you know, you make sure you're still part of that community because you know it's important. Yeah. And they were talking about the fact they couldn't find anybody to play Angry Kid because everybody kept fainting. And I think bravado, I sort of said, I reckon I could do that. Come on, I've got an animation background. How hard can it be? And so I went and I actually, the first time I walked into Ardman was to play Angry Kid in the final ever Ardman produced Angry Kid. So you're the voice of Angry Kid? No, I was just the body. I was just Ah, just the pixelated body wearing the mask. But actually in that one instance... I met so many people I now work with because I was in the studio. I met Will Beecher, who is, you know, Oscar nominated director of Farmageddon. He was actually in the studio next to me. Ardman had given him a set to allow him to make his own little short film. Me and Will work a lot together now. Obviously I met, you know, Katie uh, and, and so many other people in and around Ardman. And then 
And then after that, I kind of found myself running the studio floor of Timmy Time, which was a preschool Arban show. And when I got that, nobody knew I was a director. Nobody knew I had this other persona that wasn't yet making money. So I was actually winning weird little awards all over the place and getting commissioned by the BBC to make short films that couldn't be further removed from kind of Timmy Time and things like that. Actually, I went and did Timmy Time as a, as a production manager and I and I just fell in love. I just loved it. I absolutely loved being surrounded by these amazing, talented people. And, and off the back of that, I then got offered commercial work, doing loads of commercials. So there was this strange little period where all of a sudden there was a bit of blagging and there was a bit yeah. of a, yeah, sure. I mean, I remember when I got asked, do you think you could run the studio floor? Well, I'm, I think it was a friend who was going on holiday. And I think just out of necessity, I said, yes. Yeah, and well. I obviously really understood the animation process, but I certainly didn't understand the industry requirements of, an, of, of, of the animation process. And the first time I walked on set, I was just, this is amazing. This is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. I mean, it was preschool, you know, and I, and I had, sad, but even that was just kind of like, this is, these people are so incredibly talented. And I knew that if I nailed that, I would, I would, be able to get another job and I needed it because I was about to become a father and and so I just I just I just a lot of work into it and I called a lot of friends saying someone's just said this what does this mean and when I messed up I put my hands up and said I've messed up I didn't try and hide things to be honest more than anything I just I tried to just make people realize that I, I cared and I think that that was that was what I went for. I went for I know I might mess up, but I'm going to really I really care. And it went really hard, that, and yeah. And that was my break. I think was was doing Timmy time, and then getting moving over then to the commercials department, and then spending a good seven years production managing, yeah. then then actually slowly being given the chance to direct. Because then, then a film that I'd made outside started winning awards and and all of a sudden I could go to Arbor and say, I've made this film out there that has actually just won the London Animation Festival. Because at the same time, <laughs> I was thing, yeah. production managing on commercials. And, you know, so finally the Jots joined, the Jots joined up, the, the Jots, Jots joined yeah. up <laughs> and, and suddenly all, all yeah, happened. The, the, the industry process was a very slow thing of almost kind of trying to prove that you were safe and that people could trust you and mm. you know yeah. I think I, yeah I think the industry yeah. really looks for that and I, and I think that oh god hopefully I hopefully I gave people that trust who knows <laughs> we'll, we'll get them on the podcast Mark we'll see we'll get their side of the <laughs> so the, moving into kind of the, the geeky bit of the uh, yeah, on, now, so the, quick, the, the quick fire geeky bit so favorite job with your favorite job or show this is so naff but it's the one i'm in now i love it i absolutely like to talk about it well just you know running the academy is so incredibly rewarding and it feels like a culmination of all we have an amazing team of people who have all had these amazing trajectories of careers and we all find ourselves somewhere where even if everybody's not doing it all the time we're all there because we really, really mm-hmm. want to be there. And it's a really exciting time at Ardman as well because of how busy the studio is and how many exciting projects happening. And so having an integral part of 
helping people to fulfill their dreams and to develop their skills and knowing what that felt like when I was kind of 18, 19. And now that we can, we can help put things in place to make that far easier than it was 20 years ago is incredibly rewarding. And it's really exciting being given a department to look after company that you really admire, Yeah, you know, and, and so there you go. It's a really boring question, but it's the one I'm in now. It's a great, great answer. Sorry, not boring question. question. The question's amazing. The (laughs) answer is boring. I wrote it myself. (laughs) So uh, we don't like to be too negative on this pod, but yeah, probably most challenging or maybe worst job, low point, any you'd like to share or is is it a no comment? You know, it's really, I mean, okay. There, There have been a lot of jobs like everybody's had to do where you are just trying to make ends meet. I remember I worked in a, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the name, so please beat this out if I'm not allowed to say, say the name. But I worked in the Scholl factory who made Veruca plasters. And <laughs> my job, and this was literally to just try and get by, my job was to manually glue the little boxes that you buy in pharmacies that have got Scholl plaster, uh, sorry, that have got Veruca plasters in them or corn plasters in them and manually glue them with a glue gun. And, wow. and because you had to push them in, it would make, make the cuticles on your fingers bleed. And someone would walk around and rip up your boxes that had blood on them. But you had to hit 50 boxes a minute. Otherwise you'd, um, otherwise you'd have your pay dot. I mean, it was just like the most horrific job in my That's life. Awful. But anyway, but that was, but that was, re- I mean, I still have memories. I still have nightmares about that, about that job, but, but also, you know, there was a period where I was a course leader and course leading in universities is so incredibly difficult. You know, almost nobody. I've, I've never met anybody who's loved that position. There's probably people out there, but the challenges of trying to I think if you really care and you're the course leader at a university. It's impossible to make everybody happy. And I think that's why I found that really, really hard as well without getting too much into the politics i found it really hard to keep everybody happy so course leader veruca factory it's yeah a, it's a really similar there. really similar <laughs> there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of similarities so getting into the craft stuff so uh, do you have like an animation hero or, or i mean we can talk photography filmmaking i mean uh, the question is vfx because we're actors vfx so who's your hero i mean look in Creative. terms of okay for me there's there's two people one is questionable whether you can call it VFX, but the other one is almost like, from an Arman point of view, is the Godfather, and you and you will probably get the same answer from everybody, and that's Ray yeah. Harryhausen. You know, oh, of course, yeah. I mean, you know, I just remember watching Ray Harryhausen. I just remember, like, I mean, it might not have even been the really cool ones. It was probably one of the Sinbad films. <laughs> you know, I used to love the Sinbad movie. I know, and just watching it and just being. This is astounding. And it looked dated when I was a kid, but the fact that it looked dated wasn't why, wasn't a factor as to whether it was good or bad. It was the fact that it had been created and it was possible. That's never gone away. Through my life, there have have been kind of fashions and things have come and gone. And there have been years where I've gone, it's that person, it's that person, oh my God, I love them. And then that's faded away. But that Ray Harryhausen is the only constant I've got. The only other constant I've got, which is maybe slightly more dubious whether it's VFX, 
is, is Jans Frankmeier, which is another name that you'll hear a lot come from Ardman, which is, is somebody who just doesn't, he's, he's an artist. He doesn't even define himself as a filmmaker or as an animator. He just uses animation when he has to. Yeah. And if and if something needs to happen, like a shoe needs to come out of a face, then then he'll go from live action. He'll turn the face into plasticine and he'll push a shoe through the mouth, you know, and if all of a sudden then and, and just that that willingness to, to be not to be unrestricted by boundaries is so exciting when you watch Jan Svankmeyer. And I think that we can learn a lot, especially in this age where everything is about hiding the FX. Yeah. where actually there is something to be said about Harryhausen and Svankmeyer about screaming about the VFX <laughs> that they've yeah. created and actually almost celebrating that. And I know that that is something that is definitely within Ardman, you know, spending mm. a lot of time not hiding the boiling of things or, or the, the fact that it looks like it's being touched in between frames, you know? Yeah. So that's kind yeah, of almost I mean. an exciting yeah, part of aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah, I, I still really enjoy animation where you almost kind of, you know, see the strings, you know, I quite like, yeah. I mean, I mean, what other, one of my favourite films is still Robocop, I, I mean, I still love the animation in the motion ED209, I mean, I don't care about, it's the storytelling that brings it to life rather than that, yeah. but I, I love, yeah, my dad was a massive Ray Harryhausen fan, I mean, yeah. you know, I remember watching those great movies, and they still stand up, because they're just yeah. such great spectacles, no, aren't they? absolutely, so, absolutely, I mean, I saw him do a talk, sat about the third row back he did a talk at Annecy and he brought the um, skeletons with him oh, and uh, I just remember sitting there and almost having this rush of oh my god there's my childhood my childhood is literally about three meters away and just sort of and then you remember that what he was doing was without video assist <laughs> and he was using you know he was using gauges <laughs> to sort of help him know where the model was for the last frame and then removing the gauge, you know, you know, surface gauges and dots. And I mean, I just can't get my head around how complicated that process was to do kind of like that skeleton battle. It's still blow. Honestly, I still, it's insane. Yeah. It's, insane. it's insane. I don't know it's how yeah. you would process that in your, in your mind as a single practitioner, on set, working through all those different factors to try and make something believable. So best animation kind of shot or yeah, piece of animation you've seen, anything that stands out as a, just a great it's shot. Hard. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Because, you know, as somebody who's made a feature film, looks like it's got no VFX in it, and I know that it does. Therefore, I've, the, prob the best VFX I've probably, I've probably seen, I've not noticed. That's the first thing I'd say. I know that there's there's something out there that I've watched that I didn't know was VFX. And if that's the case, that's the best VFX I've ever watched. Because I pride myself on, on being pretty certain when something has been cheated or something like that. Yeah, but I know that there's something that's probably snuck through. Do you know what? There's, this, is, this is such an uncool answer, Simon. <laughs> but it still sticks with me. And I don't know why. But I think it's that, that, that thing about storytelling and believability and emotion. And it's the moment when, and I, I even mentioned this to somebody in the academy, one of the, one of the people we're training up at the moment. I, was, I talked about it last week with them. 
about one of the greatest pieces of animation I've ever seen. And actually it's VFX. And it's the moment when King Kong dies on oh, top of the Empire State Building. And you and all you see, it's a close-up of his eyes, and you can physically see the moment he is alive and the moment he dies. And it happens in the eyes of King Kong while it's clinging on to the top of the Empire State Building. And it's and I remember watching it. And I would also like to say at this point, I didn't like the film. <laughs> I was not, but I got through to the end. And then all of a sudden this moment happened and I, I just blew me away. How you could capture something so nuanced, so subtle in simply the eyes. In that film, there are huge things trying to happen all over the place. Some successful, some aren't, I think, it still stands up, I think, probably. But when it, was, when it was really impressive was when it did something so human and small. And I, and, I, and I don't know how they did it, even though I know someone did it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, somebody would have had to do Yeah, absolutely, I love that. Like, you know, that, that nuanced moment over all the yeah. explosions and the planes and all the bells yeah. and whistles. It's awesome. I love that. Great answer. And the last one we had there was, bullet time from the matrix so they sit beautifully as two yeah. classic shots we'll build yeah. it as we go through the uh, the new season yeah is there a kind of show an animation a film that stands out as a, a master class for you like a pinnacle of the art form i mean from an animation point of view i think we we're all incredibly blown away by spider-man into the spider-verse because it's not just about it being the craft of it being so amazing, but it's almost like everything is aligned. You know, the studio is given enough freedom to allow people to express themselves. At times it doesn't matter if something doesn't maybe narratively make total sense. We're going to allow you to just go with it. And we also don't care if on the odd occasion, there is an aesthetic decision that's made purely for aesthetic reasons. And it still helps the narrative. It's not just done to show off. It's done to make you feel like you're just embedded in this universe. And it's really exciting being there. And I felt like it was one giant exciting hug, that entire yeah. film. Yeah. So one more geeky question, then we're going to get into a quick fire round to kind of close out. I just want to ask you, what's, your, what's the best piece of character design you've ever seen? I really struggled with this one. I really did. But in the end, I went... Ava from X. Yeah. I mean, the fact that that, that film is, is still not a cult, I don't know how it isn't. But I remember uh, watching that and I remember thinking, this is quite, this is incredibly special. I thought the VFX in it was yet again existing within that kind of almost art house European <laughs> cinema style, Very but awesome. yet being really impressive and beautifully constructed and never being overly shouty you know in fact i'd say there's some real similars similarities between spider-verse and i was gonna say you know, saying, that, actually, yeah. you know what makes a success it's kind of the, it, it exists in the right world i love it right i'm going to get into the advice questions now so we're going to do this as a bit of a quick fire so the best piece of advice you ever received yeah watch the audience not the film if it's difficult then it's probably right Amazing. Right. The imposter syndrome questions. Have you ever felt out with your depth or that you were faking it till you make it? 
every single day since I graduated <laughs> from university without fail. I honestly would say that. That brings us back to that humility we talked about earlier, right? Exactly. Don't believe your own hype. Love it. Okay, uh, we had the whole alien thing earlier. So now you're in a DeLorean, had a bit of a nod back to the future earlier. So you go back in time, you meet your teenage self. What advice would you give your teenage self? Get over yourself and it'll be all right. I think that's pretty solid advice. (laughs) Isn't that what most of us would say to ourselves? Get over yourself. (laughs) Get over yourself. Don't believe your own BS. Crack on. I love that. What do you wish you'd known? when you were starting out so if you could plant something in that in that little bit of time travel something in your brain what do you wish you had knowledge of the industry is more welcoming than you'll think i love that yeah we touched on that community haven't we of visual effects animation games it is an incredible community so i think that's, that's a great answer what show or, or time in your career did you learn the most i directed a feature film that wasn't the best experience for me or a lot of the people involved It wasn't because of the crew or the cast or anything. You know, everybody was amazing. It was just seeing the underbelly of that entire process, you know, right from the very beginning through to the very end. It was incredibly stressful. And I think I learned enough about every single person's role in a feature film to have the utmost respect for everybody's role across an entire production. That's amazing. Yeah, I think you're absolutely, I mean, it sounds like an invaluable opportunity that you had seeing all that happen. So what would you change about the industry? Is there anything you could get a magic wand? What would you change up? The industry is really self-aware now, but it, it wasn't in the past. I, I wish that the industry could have been more self-aware 10, 20 years ago. I wish it could have been this sooner. I've seen a yeah. lot of people be told they can't be part of this industry and then given up. And now mm. I know they'd be fine. But, you know, things like Access VFX, things like the Ardman Academy, there are numerous other amazing organisations and kind of opportunities out there that are all born from the fact the industry did not used to be like this. And I wish it had done it sooner. You know, the Academy, every single conversation we have is about how can we reach more people and how can we be fairer? I know that wasn't happening when I was thinking I couldn't ever get into this industry as somebody with a really broad northern accent who didn't know anybody in the industry I was looking at an industry where you had to have an uncle or a or a or a something yeah. who did it before you to get before Not you could all. get in it yeah. and I love the fact that that is now changing it's it, there's way more work to do there's loads of work to do to overcome yeah. the echo of that past mm. but the fact that the industry is doing it now is brilliant and so I think the only things that need to change are the things that are changing I know I love that thank you What's one thing we can do as a step towards a more inclusive and diverse industry? So we've talked a lot about inclusion and diversity on this pod. So what's the one thing we can do collectively? What's the best way that as an individual in the industry? So if you're in the industry already, what is the best way that I can communicate to this person who's in front of me now, help them feel welcome? Okay, that's it. You know, the amount of times I met people in the 90s and through the 2000s where I almost felt like they were dropping things in to make me feel like I didn't understand it. You're right, I don't understand it. It was almost like a game to some people. And I think if everybody could just do everything they can to make sure the way they're helping people and communicating to new people coming in 
is to make sure everything you're saying to them is in, is welcoming and making them feel like there isn't a language you've got to learn. You know, there are certain things that people say that might be slightly weird, but just ask and you'll, you know, there isn't a secret handshake. Make them feel like they don't need to know that before they can come in. So final question, career advice question for all those people who are trying to break into industry, whatever age they are, what nugget of advice can you, will you give? One nugget. It's people think it's all about luck and it's not. It's about you. We tell ourselves that it's going to be luck. There's bound to be luck involved. There always is. But but our industry is really good at finding talent. Have yeah. faith if you're talented that it will find you. And like you said, keep making stuff. If you want to yeah. get into animation, animate. If you want to paint, paint. If you want to take, take like producing and making stuff, yeah, and, yeah we'll find you, right? Yeah. So you need to take those proactive steps and those risks totally. you talked about earlier. Totally. So before we finish, Mark, anything you want to put, anything Ardman Academy's putting out there, any programs, any content, anything you want to plug, push out there for our, for our listeners? Oh yeah. Okay. Really quick plug. We're at the moment, we're doing a, a really big drive for consumer courses. We've got two courses out there at the moment that are getting filled up really, really quickly. We're trying to make them as cheap as possible, as accessible as possible for everybody to be able to join from all around the world. And we're, yeah, we're continuing to build on finding the best ways that we can basically welcome people into the animation industry at the most affordable way of supporting people upskilling so please come and have a look at what we've got on offer and 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 send us an email as well if ever you've got any questions because we're not behind some kind of wall or fence please just reach out so so yes that's that's my plug there you go it's a fine plug mark simon Ewers, thank you so much you've been a pleasure thank you very much for having me simon it's been great Well, that was episode two, season two of the Access VFX podcast. We very much hope you enjoyed it. What an enjoyable conversation. Mark was a great guest. Before you go, a couple of things. Please go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, subscribe, and give us a review if you fancy it. Or maybe put in your favourite VFX shot or what, how you'd explain your role to an alien, whatever floats your boat. Most importantly, please get involved with our Foundry-sponsored global e-mentoring program. If you're in the UK, the USA, Canada, Australia or New Zealand, you can sign up for free to get an industry mentor or be a mentor to folks aspiring or just getting started in visual effects animation or games. Head to www.accessvfx.org forward slash mentors and basically change someone's life. Thank you to Mark for being an amazing second guest. Thank you to Tom Box for producing it and for the graphics. And most importantly, thanks to you for listening. Come join me next week where we speak to another wonderful guest, TBC. We'll see you then. I'm off to watch some Sinbad films. (laughs) 